Praise the Lord, everybody. Come time that we start our Sunday school, and we have just a glorious autumn morning out there for the first week of uh, November. It's supposed to be about 70 degrees today and really pretty. So we enjoy that while we can. God's blessings. And uh, today, uh, Brother McKinney is traveling, so let's remember him in prayer. Uh, him and Sister McKinney on their travels, that they have safe journeys. He is preaching out of town, I think, isn't he, Brother Dwayne? So let's remember them uh, in their ministry in prayer. Let's also remember just a couple of announcements, I guess, or one in particular. We have Harvest Time Crusade coming up the 17th, 18th, and 19th. Let's not forget that and be praying for that. Um, so... Let's get right into the lesson. And today's lesson is a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, it deals with the chapter, uh, the third chapter of John, and verses 1 through 21. I won't make you stand for all of that. I will read a couple of verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Brother McCoy, would you pray? Thank you for standing for the word. Uh, you can be seated. And I'll read a few more of these verses just to give us some background as we'll be going through most of these in greater detail. In the third verse, it goes on to say this. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh, and whither it goeth. So it is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall ye believe, if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. 
think about that for a minute. He sent, he ascended. No man came down from heaven. No man ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now, where was Jesus at that time? He was talking to Nicodemus. He was in two places at once. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Probably the most, one of the most famous verses in the Scriptures is the next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's people that build their whole theology based on that one scripture. That one scripture. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest or made known that they are wrought in God. Again, that's a very familiar passage of Scripture, and most people know that. The, the most uh, famous verse or the most known verse is John 3.16. Now, how do we know John 3.16 and it became so popular? You remember that guy that used to go to all the sporting events? He would buy tickets and get in front of the TV camera and hold up his sign and says, John 3.16. Normally he would wear this multicolored wig so he would stand out. And he would, he would want people to read that scripture, John 3.16. And it became popularized a, a lot because of what he did. Now, that guy had a very sad ending. Um, matter of fact, he's in prison today in California. He was uh, arrested for um, some kind of domestic dispute, and uh, he got sentenced to like 22 years in prison. And so he's in prison in California. Very sad, but he did bring uh, a, lot of, a lot of publicity to that particular verse of Scripture. So it's very familiar. John 3.16 is one of the most quoted. If you ask people what John 3.16 is, most people can quote it, can't they? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now think about the last two words, everlasting life. Now that's a goal that's been sought after by man 
since the beginning of time. It has. Example of that would be uh, people chasing after the fountain of youth. Everybody's heard those stories. It wasn't just Ponce de Leon. There were many people that sought after the fountain of youth through the years. But the most famous one was Ponce de Leon. He was a Spanish conquistador. He went out on a mission to find it, wound up in South America. But he wasn't successful, was he? You're not going to find the fountain of youth. You're not going to find everlasting life in that method. So mankind's always been searching and continues to search for it to this day. Today, right now, there's experiments and scientific experiments going on, all sorts of ways to stop aging. Isn't that true? Why do you women uh, buy face cream? I don't want my wrinkles to show. I need to be moisturized. <laughs> I've never tried that, Brother Dwayne. I've been muddy, but it wasn't on purpose. But, so, people are searching for that. Actually, right now, scientists are saying that they can reverse aging. That there's DNA and gene therapy. They've actually injected a certain type of gene therapy into mice. And they've lived uh, way longer, uh, you know, maybe ten times longer than they normally would and suffered no effects of uh, aging. They didn't slow down and need a cane later on like a lot of us do today. They just kept right on trucking for as long as they lived and then they just killed over. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. People are still searching for that everlasting life. It's even went so far that if somebody's died, they had this cryogenic therapy that they would freeze you, and there are people frozen today that they hope to uh, unthaw when technology becomes available that could heal them. I hope the power doesn't go off. something within us wants to live it's in our nature isn't it none of us want to die what's that old song everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die so we want to survive and we're going we want to exist and we're going to fight until our final breath for that life, aren't we? And most people do. We go to any extent that we can, take any medicine that we can, go to any doctor that we can, any treatment that we can. That's our nature, isn't it? But 
God put that longing in mankind, didn't he? Because we all have it. But the second verse in the third chapter of John informs us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Didn't come in the day, he came at night. Now, I can only surmise why he did that. And what I think is that he didn't want his meeting to be known to other Pharisees. He was a member of the Pharisees, and the first verse says he was a ruler. So he had a position of authority. And as such, he influenced the people of Israel, the Jewish people. Pharisees were noted for their religious fervor. They had a strict adherence to the Mosaical law and the teachings of the law. And for you Bible scholars out there, you know that the Mosaical law, it was very strict. And this strict uh, sect of the Pharisees, you know, they had a, even added more things uh, unto the people to the point where the people couldn't bear it. But they were looked on as in the upper class of the Jewish religious society. And they influenced the Jewish culture and worship in a very great way. So it's understandable, in my opinion, that he would take precautions when he came to Jesus that he didn't want everybody to know that he came to inquire of Jesus. And I think it's interesting today when we think about that, we think about things that happen under cover of darkness, normally we associate that with crime, don't we? Most crimes occur during the nighttime hours. It doesn't occur most of the time during the day. If somebody breaks in your house, most of the time they're doing it under cover of darkness so that people can't see them do that. It's like when I was a kid, Mom said, you're not going out at night. You're not going to stand out all night. I said, why not? Because you just get into meanness. And that's probably true. We'd go out and play hubcap and make people's car stop, then run away. That was the innocent trouble that we got into. Until we had one friend one time, he just threw the hubcap like a frisbee, went up in the air and come down through someone's windshield. No one was injured, thank God, but uh, it was uh, uh, an exciting time, I'll say, especially when we got home. And the parents found out about it. But most this most bad things happen at night. But Nicodemus, he wasn't committing a crime unless in his own mind he didn't want other people to know what he was doing. He didn't want any wrath or censure from the other Pharisees. He did, though, he had questions for Jesus. There was something within him, though, that desired to inquire more deeply about what Jesus was talking about, what he had taught to people. 
within his soul, he yearned to learn something more. Something real rather than the traditions that he had been taught all his life. Something real as opposed to his blind adherence to religious institutions or organizations. He had heard of Jesus, and I think he had been in the crowd when Jesus had been speaking. Pharisees regularly attended where Jesus was talking. So I think he had probably heard Jesus speak. And he was probably with the Pharisees at the time, and they would stand around and criticize what Jesus said, asking him trick questions to try to get him to say something that they could point a finger at and say, this man's not of God. So he was probably within that. But something that Jesus said struck Nicodemus. They had an impact. It had an impact on him. And he was compelled to seek Jesus out. So Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, he didn't attack Jesus like a lot of the Pharisees did. He was humble. And he addressed Jesus as rabbi or teacher and professed that Jesus had come from God because no man could do the miracles that he had done without them being from God. They were indisputable miracles. No one else had ever done those. He had raised people from the dead. He had turned water into wine. He had healed people with leprosy and of the palsy and all sorts and manner of diseases. None of the Pharisees had ever done that. No one in Israel had ever done that. So they were notable miracles. But the thing about miracles is this, is miracles aren't for the believer. Miracles are for the unbeliever. And the Jewish culture at the time, the Jewish nature, nation, over a period of years, had become an unbeliever in the ways of God. But this leads me to believe that as Nicodemus admitted that Jesus had came from God, not only did Nicodemus believe that, but there were also more Pharisees that believed that. Nicodemus used the term, we. We know that in that verse. He says, we know. So that's plural. That's more than one. And I just wonder in my own mind, maybe I'm wrong, if he was not just coming for himself, but for others in the Pharisee sect, as they had discussed and talked about things, you know, you get a group of friends together, and you want to go do something, and you pick one person out to go talk to the adult to see if you can get permission to do it. Yeah, you got to kill the messenger, right? So Nicodemus may have been the one that they picked 
said, hey, he drew the short straw. He gets to go talk to Jesus. But he said we, so it's plural. It wasn't just himself. And they all knew that Jesus was from God, but the Pharisees, though, they didn't want to relinquish any control which they had over the people. It's the same old story. You attain power and control. You get built up with this ego, and I can't accept anything but that, and I'll do whatever I have to do to remain in that power. It's my opinion that the teachings of Jesus oftentimes pointed out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And by doing that, and the people understanding and hearing that, the people were starting to listen. So it was a threat to the control that they had over the people. Even knowing that what he did was from God. They were willing to destroy that. So Jesus knew the questions that Nicodemus was going to ask and quite possibly knew that they were the wrong questions that needed to be asked. So Jesus didn't even give him time to ask a question. If you read that, Jesus went straight and gave him the answer right off the bat. Before Nicodemus could even ask a question, Jesus gave him the truth in unequivocal terms. And he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's think about that for a moment. Nicodemus came to Jesus and he was prepared to carry the narrative. He was prepared to ask the questions and maybe even prepared to put Jesus a little bit on the defensive. But he did have questions and he did want answers. My thinking, and it's not anybody else's, it was just me because the Pharisees were strict in the law of Moses, that he wanted to question Jesus about the law of Moses and the differences between the law of Moses and some of his teachings that he was uh, telling the people of. And we know that Jesus knows what Nicodemus had in his heart. Jesus knew, though, that that was not what Nicodemus needed. So he, can, he took control of the narrative. Basically, he took the wind out of Nicodemus' sails right off the bat. He blew Nicodemus, that theological thinking, he blew that up. Have you ever been talking to anybody and they say something that is so crazy, so outrageous, that it just leaves you dumbfounded, I mean, stupefied. Your jaw literally drops in amazement. You ever been talking to anybody felt that way? And you go, you have to take, do a double take, huh? I mean, you stand in amazement and you wonder if they just said that 
you just wonder, if they, did they just really say that? And it takes you a while to gather your wits so you can even respond. Now, I've had that happen to me on several occasions. I really have. But sometimes I've been the one making those statements. And people look at me and say, did you really say that? Normally, that's my better half that says things like that to me. But if we think about that for a minute, what Jesus had told Nicodemus, it was so crazy, so out there. Don't you think that Nicodemus felt that way too when, he, when Jesus made that statement to him? Well, you must be born again. And I think that Nicodemus most assuredly felt just like that. His jaw probably, this guy's supposed to be a smart guy, he's probably thinking. But nothing in Nicodemus's education, in which he was a very educated person, his teachings or his reading, his theology, had prepared him for those 13 words that Jesus uttered to him. Except a man be born again, he cannot, in, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Thirteen words. Of all the things he thought he was going to hear from Jesus, I can just about guarantee you he didn't expect that. Now we don't know, the Bible doesn't say, how long of a pause that Nicodemus had in responding to Jesus' statement. But I would imagine he had to collect his thoughts. And he gives a very typical response. Really. He doesn't say, are you crazy? But he says something similar. Well, how can a man enter again into his mother's womb? How can he be born again when he's old? But he gives that answer, and it's something that we probably would answer too. If we were unsaved and we didn't know the truth of God's word. We can look at that now with a foundation basis in the word. And we can look at Nicodemus and or we can look at him and say, well, you're ignorant. You know, you don't really understand the word. We just need to take a trip down memory lane. And remember, when we first came into church, we were ignorant of God's word. I was. And we were all bombarded with a lot of different things at one time. This person telling you this. This person telling you you can do this, or you can't do that, or you need to do this. Am, am I speaking truth? We're bombarded with that. We don't understand it, though, do we? We don't have the basis of reading the Word and understanding that. We're taking people at their word and on faith. We didn't have our understanding open at that time. So when people talked about the new birth experience to us, 
when we were first getting in church, we first repented. I mean, that was a foreign concept to most of us. Unless you're a fifth-generation Pentecostal family tree person, which I wasn't. So I didn't understand a lot of that. What we did know, though, was there was something missing in our lives. We knew that there was an emptiness, there was a yearning, a longing for something more. A realization that we had sinned, that we had done wrong, and we couldn't fix that by ourselves. That was, a, that was what we felt inside. Now, we're not special or unique in that at all. And those similar feelings, I'm sure Nicodemus must have felt all those years ago when he went to Jesus. Now, he did have an advantage over most new converts today because technically he was considered a biblical scholar. Of our day, he would be considered a biblical scholar. Have you ever noticed, though, how much harder it is to witness to someone that is of a faith different than yours, of a Christian faith different than yours? How much more difficult it is to witness to that person than someone who doesn't profess anything? They've heard preaching. They've heard teaching, and most likely they've read their Bible, and they know things about Jesus and grace and salvation. Most of them are very sincere and devout in their beliefs, and honestly, they think that they're right. They do. So when you speak about speak to them about the plan of salvation, that's at odds with their theology. It's at odds with what they've been taught. It's at odds with what their mother and dad have told them, or their grandparents have told them, or their pastor tells them, or their friends that go to church with them tell them. And that past teaching clouds their judgment clouds their thinking, and it creates doubt instead of faith when you present things about salvation to them. They can't accept that they must be baptized in Jesus' name. What you hear is, well, Jesus said, you need to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's Jesus said that himself. So when you explain to them, Jesus did say that. I agree 100% that Jesus said that. But you need to read the verse and understand what the verse is. You need to understand how the English language works. It's the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's not baptizing them 
in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's the name. You need to understand what the name is, and that requires a little more extensive Bible study to do that, to understand what that name is. And we all sitting in this room today, we understand that name is Jesus. So they, they have a hard time accepting that because they've heard all their life. Well, I'm going to take what Jesus said. Well, I'm going to take that too. Let me just explain that to you, though. Let me explain what that name is. They can't accept that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They don't understand that. They can't accept that. That's never been in their theology. That's not their doctrine that they believe. They believe in the Holy Ghost. They'll tell you they believe in the Holy Ghost. But I, they say, well, I just feel that I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got God's Spirit in me. And they'll, they'll tell you that. They'll be sincere in that. And I don't want to belittle anybody's closely held personal beliefs. But at the same point in time, it's very hard to get them to go to scripture so you can explain that to them. Well, my pastor told me this. I had one person that I, I had uh, uh, talked to and give scriptures to, and I said, don't take my word for it, you read it, and then come back and we'll talk. He took the paper that I gave him and took it to his pastor. He didn't even read the scriptures. He just took it to his pastor his pastor handed it back to him and said, that's a bunch of uh, garbage. That's not for us today. You need to tell him that. So he did. But, you know, you, you, you have that block in people who have been taught certain things all their life. Again, most of them are very sincere in that. They're devout in that. And I said all that to say, I know I got off on a tangent, but don't you think Nicodemus was the same way? He'd been taught his whole life a certain thing. It was a certain way. We had to do things a certain way. So his entire life was spent in that Pharisee strict Mosaical law order. So when Jesus presented those 13 simple words, he was astonished. That blew his mind. It was way off base of anything he could have ever imagined or dreamed of. But Jesus cut right to the heart of the matter. He basically said, how are we saved? Nicodemus had always been taught that his works in the law of Moses would save him. Jewish theology is that you are saved by the works that you do while the theology of Jesus was that we are saved because of the works that he did. We know we can't do enough to get into heaven. But that's 
basically the way the Jewish faith works. It's works that you do that get you into heaven. Our theology is that the works that Jesus done provides the grace and the salvation for us. We can't provide that sacrifice. We can't kill enough bulls and sheep and goats and turtle doves and all those things that, that provided a sin sacrifice before Jesus was crucified on the cross. That doesn't remit sin forever. It only pushed sin forward for a period of time. So that was a key difference that was there. Obviously, I think Nicodemus was shocked by that statement. And he answered with this fleshly answer. How can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born again? He basically said, that's foolishness, Jesus. You know that's impossible. Now, that's really a crazy statement. Jesus explained, though, in today's vernacular, he told Nicodemus, you're not buying what I'm selling. And he wasn't. He didn't understand it. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So if we look at those passages, Jesus said to be born of water. He didn't say to be born of the water. He said born of water. And then when he talked about the Spirit, he said born of the Spirit. He didn't say of the water, which would have meant a very specific type or place of water. Or a certain measure of water. Certain denominations, they may place a significance on holy water. But the Bible does not indicate that it has to be a specific water for your salvation. It simply says water, of water. Born of water in the new birth experience, what do we know about that? That's water baptism in his name. It means we go down in death and with our sins. And it says we rise to walk in the newness of life. We're a new creature at that point in time. Every time someone is born again, guess what? That's a miracle, folks. It's a miracle. Conversely, when we talk about the Spirit, it says of the Spirit. Well, that signifies it's a very specific thing. It's distinct. It's not of spirit. It's of the spirit. So we have to be born of, the wa of water and of the spirit to make it into the kingdom of God. Now, the spirit is the Holy Ghost given on the day of Pentecost in, in Acts 2. We can read about that and have read about that many times. Now, it doesn't just suggest that that's something we ought to do. Well, it would be nice if you did that. Well, you can be baptized if you want to. It's just a confession of your faith. 
that's not what the Bible says, folks. It says you must, M-U-S-T. What does must mean? That you have to do that. That's a requirement. So Nicodemus didn't understand that Jesus was speaking of spiritual things when he was talking to him. He was thinking in the natural. This was a totally new and different theology than what his past teachings about salvation was. Jesus further explained to Nicodemus, though, that what's flesh is flesh. What's spirit is spirit. Now, I liken that under the answer that Jesus gave to uh, the Pharisees when they came to him and they was talking about the taxes. And he said, well, show me a coin. He said, whose inscription is on that? He said, Caesar's. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. What's flesh is flesh and what's spirit is spirit. So Jesus understood, though, that Nicodemus was confused and that he had really he had rocked his theological world, so to speak. And he told him, though, he said, don't be amazed that I tell you you have to be born again. Jesus used an example there. He used the example of the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Anybody ever been out in a windstorm? Right now with the leaves blowing around, you can tell if the wind's blowing, can't you? The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell where it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now, I'm sure, I'm positive Nicodemus didn't understand that. I'm sure most of the people that were in the room with Jesus at the time didn't understand that. But you know, there's no coincidences in the Word of God. None. It's not just, well, that was coincidence. There's a purpose for it being in there. And Jesus had a specific purpose there. It's not a coincidence that on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting in all of it so when he used that example to Nicodemus and then you go to Acts second chapter or Acts when uh, the day of Pentecost was fully come And the wind is used there for the Spirit to come. That's not a coincidence. The fulfillment of the words that he spoke to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John was the day of Pentecost. Nicodemus at this point in time, after hearing all this, he was just overcome, and he blurted out these words. 
How can these things be? Any of us felt that way before? How can this happen? How can these things be? His theology was so turned on his head that he asked this pleading question to Jesus. How can that be? Now that was a sincere question. And Jesus answered him very directly and to the point. In the 10th verse there, he said, Jesus said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? You're supposed to be read in the Bible. You're supposed to know the scriptures. And you don't know these things? And you're wanting me to tell you and explain this to you? And the next verse, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. Jesus said, I know what I'm talking about. And testify that we have seen. What I've seen and what I have done, my disciples are testifying about and telling you also. And you receive not our witness. You don't believe it. It's basically what he told him. And he also said, if I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you about spiritual things? So he was actually taking Nicodemus down a peg right there. You or I, if we were in Nicodemus's place, we would probably just walk off in a huff. Nobody's going to talk to me that way. In answer to that, he talked about what he had done, the actions that he had done, and he was laying the groundwork for what he would tell him next. Now, the things that Jesus done, they were indisputable. It was fact, and Nicodemus actually admitted that in his first statement to Jesus. We know that thou art come from God. We know that the things that you have done, no man can do except he be from God. But then Jesus went on to blow his mind just a little bit more. He staked his claim to be God in the next verse. And to Nicodemus and the Pharisees, that was blasphemy. They're ready to stone you to death. He said, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now Nicodemus knew about the teachings of Moses and the prophets. He knew that the Messiah had been prophesied about. He's, he had read the scriptures in Isaiah, I'm sure, like we have today. He knew the scripture of Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. So it is unmistakable that he also knew that Jesus 
was stating his claim to deity with that statement. He was either more amazed at this point in time or he was growing angry. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Jesus didn't leave Nicodemus with an incomplete understanding of the plan of salvation, though, and the new covenant that would be in place after Jesus' death. And he used terms that Nicodemus could relate to. He used the example of the serpent in the wilderness. As we all know about what happened there, there was a plague. God sent serpents into the camp, and it was killing the people by the thousands. The people came to Moses and said, you're going to have to do something. We've disobeyed God. You're going to have to do something. So God told Moses to fashion a serpent, put it on a pole. Anybody that looked upon the serpent was saved. And Nicodemus knew this story. But I don't think he understood what Jesus was saying at the time. He was speaking of his own crucifixion and how that would provide salvation for mankind by the sacrifice that he was going to make in a short while. I'd like to think that Nicodemus thought about those things after Jesus' death. Jesus then gets down to Nicodemus and everyone else, what everyone's concerned with. Eternal life, everlasting life. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then the 16th verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world that the world through him might be saved. Through those terms, he explained to Nicodemus that whosoever believed in him, in Jesus, would not die but have eternal life. Now, he also explained the theology behind this. God was offering his only son. Now, we knew, uh, and Nicodemus would know, through being a Pharisee and the Scriptures and the Mosaical Law, that you had to offer a perfect lamb sacrifice for sin, spotless. And what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus was he was going to be that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice that we needed, mankind needed, for salvation. That whosoever had faith in Jesus Christ, that sacrifice would then give them eternal life. That wasn't all of it, though. He got into the theological differences there. The Pharisees ruled by telling you what you did wrong. How many ever worked for a boss that only told you what you did wrong? We've probably all been there. 
anybody ever come and pat you on the back and say, boy, you're doing a great job today? Don't get very many days like that, do you? Most of the time, you, you, you do your best, and then you come out and they're saying, well, I wish you could have done a little bit more today. But the Pharisees ruled by telling you what you did wrong. And they made onerous rules that the people, they couldn't hardly follow. And they had no compassion for the people when they couldn't follow those rules. Their works, the Pharisees' works, was how salvation was achieved to them. But Jesus' next statement, it flew right in the face of all that. He, he told Nicodemus that he didn't come into the world to what? Condemn the world. But the Pharisees were condemning the world. That was their stock in trade. But Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. But that the world through him could be saved. He was offering salvation when the Pharisees were just offering condemnation. That's a huge difference. And when we think that we can save ourselves by our own actions, we become a Pharisee. When we think we can save ourselves by the things that we do, we become a Pharisee. Now, we can be a good moral person. We can treat everyone well. We can be honest, ethical. We can attend church regularly. We can pay our tithes and offerings and just be the best person in the world. Everybody talks great about you. Folks, that don't save you. That does not provide salvation. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't talk your way into heaven. And we can't be saved by the works that we do. We're only saved by the grace that Jesus provided from the sin sacrifice that he made. Yes, there's things that we have to do. We have to be baptized. We have to receive the Holy Ghost. And we have to walk in conjunction with the will of God. Titus 3 and 5 says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. The works of righteousness that we have done is baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost. Those are works of righteousness that we have done. Loving our brother and our sister. Those are works of righteousness that we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. It wasn't the works. It was the mercy that he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In Romans, it says this, fourth chapter, second 
Verse 4, if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. He believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness that he believed God. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now think about that. It says to him that worketh. If you're trying to do your salvation by your works, that reward is not reckoned by the grace of God. It's out of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now this is talking about the difference between the Jewish law, the Mosaical law, and the grace covenant. If we believe, it's counted to us for righteousness. We can't, and none of us can be righteous enough to go to heaven. It, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. The only way that we can make it to heaven is we believe Jesus Christ and that he died for our sins. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work. Saying, blessed are they though whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Nicodemus knew the law though, but he didn't understand the fullness of God's plan. As I said earlier, the Jewish faith are based on being saved by the works that they do, they go to synagogue, they worship, they're diligent about following the law of Moses, observing the Sabbath days, the feast days, the Passover, all those things that are related to that. They are saved by those works, they think. That's what saves them. Because of the actions or works that they perform, they're saved. That's their theology. Jesus changed that narrative totally, though. That by the work of one man, the works of one man, the sacrifice of one man, that perfect sin sacrifice, that all of mankind could be offered salvation. A sacrifice that was so good, it was good enough for all of us. Nicodemus had a hard time accepting that. After an entire lifetime of thinking another way. And Jewish people today are very similar. It's very hard. But as we read the Bible passages about the law of Moses and how works did not justify them, they were justified, why? Because they believed. Our belief in God is paramount to our salvation our belief that is part of faith we have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek now he ends his recorded conversation with, uh, with Nicodemus with these words 19 says and this is the condemnation that light 
is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When he says this, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that, cometh, he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. He was ending that conversation with Nicodemus by saying that the Jewish condemnation was that the light had come into the world, but that man had loved darkness rather than light. Jesus was the light of the world. But yet the Jewish people were rejecting that light. And they were choosing darkness rather than light. Not only that, but their deeds were evil. What they were doing to the people was evil. They were influencing the people, God's people, in a negative way. They were leading people astray. The evil, he said, hated the light. As evil always does. I, I hear this time and again, you know, you, in, in politics you hear this scandal, this scandal, that scandal, whatever, goes on and on and on. And you heard, I've heard this term. Transparency is the best disinfectant. The light is the best disinfectant. You shed a light on something, it becomes the best disinfectant. Everyone, everyone gets their just reward. No exceptions. You, me, anybody. I don't care what your position is in this world. I don't care who you've been, what you have done. Uh, presidents, kings, uh, a pauper, it doesn't matter who you are. We're all going to be equal at death. We're all going to be judged the same way. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter your social standing. Doesn't matter if you're uh, in a very famous family, a Rockefeller, or if you're just somebody who is basically nameless that goes through this world. We're all going to be treated the same way. We all face the same judgment. And Nicodemus was admonished to come to the light. And that admonishment, it rings down through time, doesn't it? But I think it's even more relevant today as we get toward the end times that I feel like we're in right now. And I'll just say this. And with this, I'll close. Let us come to the light. Let us be that city that's set on a hill that can't be hid. It's a good lesson this morning. If you all enjoy the lesson, amen, let's give the Lord another hand clap. Amen. It's true without the Spirit. Brother Keith was talking, and I thought there's another scripture in the Word, too, 
that tells us that. I believe it's in, it's in John, actually, I think. It tells us that, you know, the Spirit intervenes in things that we don't even know that we need to pray for, to pray in the Spirit. So that's the importance of having the Holy Ghost. Amen. We've got to have God lead us and guide us. Sometimes we don't know what direction, Brother Keith, to pray. We don't know just exactly what God's will is for our life or for our family's life. Amen. We don't understand all things. And we think of these things sometimes in the carnal, and it gets us in trouble, don't it? Amen. That's why it's important to have God lead us even in our prayer life and all things. And I enjoyed that lesson. Let's give Brother Keith and the Lord another hand clap. Amen. Got any... uh, anniversaries this morning or any birthdays anybody getting any older or been married maybe a little while longer nobody well that's good I'm glad you're still here and can say that though but if you wasn't here we'd be worried about you amen but uh, we'll do the sowing the seed I was looking around don't see very many children this morning where's our children at we'll do the sowing the seed I'm sure there's some wanting to get Let's give them all a hand clap this morning. Thankful. Thankful for the word and thankful thankful that God would choose to be in this place. Don't you? That he would choose to place his anointing and his blessings upon us this morning. Amen. Amen. If I can find the scripture. you all I went to the doctor on Thursday I couldn't wait to get back to tell you all I was supposed to go see the surgeon and the oncologist came in wasn't supposed to be there and I'd had my MRI done last Friday and they scanned and I told you all that my pelvic my rectal area and the oncologist came in and he asked me would I like a copy. I had a copy of it at home, but I forgot it this morning. I wanted to bring and show you all. He said, would you like a copy of this? I said, sure. And he said, I'm going to mark on here what I was looking for. And he said, your MRI was perfect. So they, so I have in my pelvic area, my rectal area. He said, you have no more malignancy. (laughs) And I thank God. I thank God for you all. I want to tell you all, there is nothing, I mean nothing, that is impossible for God. Nothing. I will be going to Cleveland Clinic on Wednesday. And they're supposed to do a full body scan. I can't wait to get back to tell you all that I'm all clear everywhere. I love you all and appreciate your prayers so much. Ain't, ain't the God that we serve and that we pray to and that we expect an answer from, ain't he a good, good God? Amen. Brother DeBarge is going to come with some announcements. Amen. But you all pray for this this week too as we go to Cleveland. I'm expecting nothing but more testimonies. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some 
praise right now. Come on, church. Let's give the Lord some praise for what we just heard. That's the testament of God's power. Hallelujah. Glory. As a testament of God's power and his people's faith. Glory. Because we have prayed over that situation with faith that he was going to respond. And that is proof that he does and he did. Amen. Tonight or today, quickly, I would love to run through the announcements so we could get to the main reason we're here. To worship and to be blessed and to bless the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Quickly, we have a few announcements that Pastor would love us to be mindful of. Uh, Coming up Friday, November 17th at 7 p.m., we're having our Harvest Time Crusade services. It's going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Friday, November 17th at 7 p.m., Brother Buddy Puckett will be here. Saturday, November 18th, 7 p.m., Brother James Cheshire will be here. And Sunday, November 19th at 11 a.m., Brother Michael Maupin will be here. We are expecting to come and to be fed in the Spirit. So come, bring, bring guests, bring people that have never experienced the love of Christ before because the Lord is going to pour out. And if they are not here, how is he going to be able to pour out on them? With that being said, if you are not fed spiritually, at least afterwards, you will be fed physically. There will be a dinner following. And then CAC Daily ICAST, the 10th anniversary service, will be an online celebration. But join on Tuesday, December 5th, to help celebrate 10 years of the Lord's faithfulness through this uh, webcast ministry. It started, or pastor started broadcasting Monday through Friday back on December 5th of 2013. That is 10 years of someone getting up Monday through Friday and teaching each and every day. That's a lot of dedication. Amen. And I'm grateful for it. Hallelujah. And then uh, CAC Christmas program is going to be Sunday, December 10th at 6 p.m. We're looking forward to all the dedication and the hard work to come to fruition, to come and see what uh, all these that have chosen to be a part of the program is going to bring forth as praise unto the Lord. Amen. CAC New Year's Eve celebration will be Sunday, December 31st at 9 p.m. to midnight. We always join together, like-minded souls and individuals, praying out the new year and in the new, or out the old year and in the new year. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Then, of course, we have that celebration, but youth class has been started back up. The youth class, which is 13 to 18-year-old, or if you would say 7th grade to 12th grade, we are in the Casey Wing. My wife and I are teaching that class right now. So uh, bring all of the 12 or 13-year-olds to 18-year-olds. Bring them, let them be a part. Let them start learning about Christ now. Because the word of the Lord says, train up a child in the way they shall go. So when they're old, they shall not depart from it. I'm grateful for parents that would train me to come to the house of the Lord whenever I had the opportunity to go other places. Amen. So youth class, every Wednesday night, 13 to 18-year-olds will be in my class. And then Friendsgiving, that is for the 7th grade to 12th grade. Begin to let all your friends know, to the younger ones, of course. Uh, That needs to be 7th grade to 12th grade. It will be on Friday, the 10th, this coming Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. We'll be having a great message fellowship, food, and games. So for the parents, drop off your kids, uh, go and have a meal for yourself, and then come back whenever it's time. But we're going to have a great time with all these youth. We want to start building our youth. 
We have a foundation of a a few right now, but we want to start building the youth because that furthers the building of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So be in prayer for, for our youth group to begin to grow and flourish in the name of the Lord. At this time, I'm going to prepare to turn it over to Brother McCoy as he comes to to lead us into an atmosphere of praise and worship through the word. So if you would give the Lord a hand clap of praise as Brother McCoy comes. Come on, church. Stand up and give him praise. He'd been better to you than that. Amen. Just the fact that you're here lets me know that God's been good to you. Amen. And I found that, found that scripture, brother. Amen. Romans 8 and 26. And it went a little deeper than what I remembered. It says, likewise, the Spirit... So he's talking about God. Somebody say that. Also helpeth our infirmities. Amen. I looked up that word infirmities. Amen. It is talking about the things that go wrong. Inflictions. Amen. Our sicknesses. Amen. Our feebleness. Listen to this. Our feebleness and diseases. Sister Tanil, when we don't know how to pray, we turn to God. When we want direction, we turn to God. Amen. I don't care what it is that you were facing before you come through them doors this morning. It's time to turn it to God. Amen. For He helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray. Sometimes we don't know what to ask God for, do we? Amen. I hate to admit that, but as a, as a minister, Brother Keith, sometimes I don't know what to say. Amen. And sometimes your family will do things, amen. You just don't know, Brother Larry, what to say or what to do, and we throw up our hands. But you know what we ought to do? We ought to be as people that believe Pentecostal apostolic believers that believe in having the Holy Ghost, which is the power of God, amen, in our lives. We ought to pray in the Spirit. Amen. But the Spirit itself, listen to this, hallelujah, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, words that I cannot come up with on my own, Brother Keith. He gives me the words to pray. Amen. Brother Jim, for things that I don't know that I even need to pray about. Amen. He gives Sister Tina sometimes we, we go to God about our family and we don't know what to ask. Amen. But I'm telling you, amen, to pray in the Spirit. Have you noticed sometimes when you get in tune with God, amen, you can speak in tongues just, I didn't mean to say all this, just a little bit quicker than you could when the times where you had walked away from God, that's what it's talking about. Being in tune with God, amen, to where you can pray in the Spirit, amen, and you can hear in the Spirit. Hallelujah. We got to have Him. That's what it's all about. Even in our prayer lives, in our families, it's all about Him. So as we gather and we start to worship, you're all going to gather around and worship with us because I know you're just like me. you got things going on in your life that you need an answer from the Lord about. You've got things that you've been dealing that you want, amen, an answer right now. But I'm telling you to turn it over to God, amen. If you're close to Him, what He say? Draw nine to me, and I'll draw nine to you. So come on, worship with us like you never have before. My eyes on your faithfulness. Oh God, let me not forget to sing in the valley to look towards your goodness. 
your neighbor and say it's all for his glory amen hallelujah just like the scripture that said you know the man that was laying lame hallelujah it was all wasn't because of his sin amen see sin will get you in trouble with God amen it'll bring you to a place amen to where you call, see, I pray the prayer over my lost family. No matter, Sister Tennille, what it takes. And that's a hard prayer to pray, amen. Because, Brother Keith, I've read my Bible, amen. And I know where God can take you. How many's read about David, a man after God's own heart, but he gave his own son up, amen, because he would not listen to God. Because he wanted to go and fulfill the lust of his flesh. Let me tell you somebody right now, you better get your eyes on Christ. Amen. This world ain't worth it. Amen. Hallelujah. That good looking man or that, that beautiful woman, it's not worth it. It's fire that will consume you and will destroy your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why I pray, amen, over my family, whatever it takes. Because the ultimate thing is that they come to Jesus. Amen. It ain't what you can attain in this world, but it's that we serve Him. That is the most and should be the most important thing in my life and in your life. We've got some prior requests. Roger McCoy, Larry Sullivan, Raymond Thacker. These are lives. Whatever's going on in their life, they need a touch. That's why they ask people to put their names on here. Amen. Because they, they think that you and I will pray, and that's great. But most of all, they think that God that you and I serve is a God at hand and not afar off. And I believe that. Raymond Thacker, Scotty Belcher, the Agnes family, 
Agnes Justice family, and Kevin, whoever that is. Pam Bartley, still touch Sister Pam. I move up on her. Jaden Belcher, Danny Ratliff, and if I don't slaughter this name, Vezrin, Ezra, and Brian Stump, and also Deacon DeBarge. Remember little Deacon. Amen. He has RSV, and that's serious. Remember when my girls were in Huntington, and they told us about RSV, they said, keep your child from this. But you know what, God? Brother, Brother DeBarge, we serve a God that's much bigger than RSV. <laughs> Sister Tennille, we serve a God that's much bigger than cancer. Amen. We serve a God that is much bigger than COVID. Amen. I serve a God who knows all things. Let's take these prayer requests to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Lord, we humbly come before you asking that you move upon every name that has been mentioned, God. And we call upon the name of Jesus, God. We invoke that name over them. Amen. Because the blood of Christ has already been shed for the remission of sin, for every disease, for every sickness, God. It's already been given. And I believe in that blood. I believe in the power. In Jesus' name. How many believes there's power in the blood of Jesus? Hallelujah, I believe it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen to this song. Many a time, y'all have heard me testify. I sung this song to my little dad. Amen. Hallelujah. Mom would call and say, Dad needs to hear the song. He needs you to sing his song. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to put any greatness on me because without him, I am nothing. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you tonight, today, the healer is in this place. I've done felt him. I've done felt witness. He's in the house. And he's wanting to move in somebody's life. Healing is here. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Yes, I receive it. Yes, Jesus. Healing is here. Healing is here. Healing is here. Come on, lift your hands and say, Lord, I receive it. And I receive it. Cause the healer is here. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. Healing. Healing is here. Come on, lift your hands, church, and say, I believe it. Oh, I believe it. Come on, will you all worship with us? Come on. I reach my hands to the heavens. I lift my eyes to where my help comes from. I look to my rock, my healer, I trust in you. Come on, worship him and say this with us. Freedom is here. Yes, you can have freedom in your mind today. Freedom is here. Yes, it is. Hallelujah. Freedom is here. How many receive it? And I receive it. Come on, proclaim it. Hallelujah. 
down where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Freedom is here. And I believe it. Let's worship Him in church. I reach my hands to the heavens. I lift my eyes where my help comes from. I look to you, my rock, my healer. I trust in you. Come on, worship him from the heart, church, will you? I reach my hands to the heavens. I lift my eyes where my help comes from. I look to you. My rock, my healer, I trust in you. Will y'all listen to this? This is the spoken word of God. Hallelujah. And sickness can stay any longer. Yes, it is. Your perfect love is casting out fear. Oh, you are the God of all power. Come on, do you believe that, church? And it is your will that my life is here. Oh, sickness can't stay any longer. Your perfect love is casting out fear. Jesus, you are the God of all power. Come on, proclaim it, church. Oh, sickness can't stay in him. We bind it in the name of Jesus. Your perfect love is casting out fears. Oh, Jesus, you are the God of all power. And it is your will that my life is here. I'll reach my Lift my eyes where my help comes from. I look to you, my rock, my healer. I trust in you. Deliverance is here. My deliverer is here. Deliverance is here, and I'll receive it. Yes, Deliverance is here, in Jesus' name. Deliverance is here. Deliverance is here. Lord, I believe it. Come on, if you believe that, will you worship with us? Reach my hands to the heavens. Lift my eyes to where my help comes from. 
healer. I trust in you. Lord, I'll reach my hands to the heavens. Lift my eyes to where my help comes from. I look to you, my rock, my healer. I trust in you. Trust in you. How many trust in the Lord? Amen. He's your everything. If He's not your everything, you better spend some time with Him, making sure. Amen. He's my peace. Amen. Hallelujah. My blessed assurance. Amen. Like that old song says, Jesus is mine. The Word of God says He's joy unspeakable. I can try all day, brother, till you all fall asleep and get tired of hearing me talk. And I never describe to you just how great He is in my life. Amen. It's come time that we take up offering today. As the ushers would come. Amen. Give joyfully. Amen. So we can never repay Him. Amen. And He don't have need of our money, but He desires it. He wants it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many believes that He's the same God Yesterday, today, and forever. Same God. Amen. Let's pray over this offering. God, we humbly come before you once again. Asking that you would bless the offering, God. Bless those that give and had a heart to give. That's the important part, God, is that we give freely, God, with an open heart towards you, God. Not just because you bless me, amen. In spite of it, amen. I give, amen, because that I love you, amen. And we give you praise and honor and glory. Everybody look around and say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, we glorify your name. Calling on the God of Jacob. Whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God Moses. Yes, hallelujah. The one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. For me, do you believe he will? Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Favor rest upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. 
I'm calling on the God of David Who made a shepherd boy courageous I may not face Goliath But I've got my own giant Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you same God we're talking about, the God of Moses, the God of Jacob, the God of our grandparents. He's the same God. You heard your children then. You, you hear your children now. You, you are, are the same God. Same God. You are the yes, same God. Yes, You answered prayers back then. And you will answer now. You are the same Providing then, you are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You move in power then. God move in power now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are You are the going to stand on the faithfulness. Amen. Hallelujah. You notice it says your faithfulness. 
not my faithfulness. My faithfulness wavers to the, to the house of the Lord and to the God that I serve. But he never wavers. Not one time, amen, has he left me forsaken. Sister Lakin, not one time has he let me down. Not one time has he turned his back on me, amen. That's the same God that we speak of here today. Hallelujah. Your freeing hearts right now You are the same God You are the same God You touch the lepers then I feel your touch right now You are the same God You are the same God Yes, He's the same Come on, lift your hands all over this place and say, you've never left me forsaken. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Same God. Hallelujah. He's the same God. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and I mean, he needs him to fill you again. Amen. It's not just important, saints of God, that we get the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is after repentance and after you're baptized. Amen. I don't know about you all. Can I just admit a few things to you? When I go out in this world six days a week, and I work in this community, and I love my job, I love the men. But Sister Pam, it takes something out of me. Amen. It takes something out of me spiritually because of things that I have to go through in here. Not here to complain, amen. I'm here to explain the importance of the altar. And there's times I just got to fall on my knees before the Lord and say, God, I need you. God, I need you now, just like the song says. I need you to come and fill me again, to empty the things of this world out and to fill me again. Amen. I mean, he's excited for the message. Amen. Don't want to delay it any longer. Amen. But I'm ready for the word. Somebody look at Brother DeBarge. This ain't putting no pressure on. Say, Brother, you need to preach to us today. Amen. Because I have need of his word. Amen. Of God's word. Amen. And I believe that our brother's ready to deliver it. But are you ready to receive it? I heard a testimony, and, and I won't delay any longer. Amen. But to receive something, you've got to be in a place where you're hungry. You've got to be in a place where you're ready to receive something. Amen. God won't give you nothing till you're ready. So are you hungry? Are you hungry this afternoon? Come on, let's give Brother DeBarge and the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Amen. Let's give that Lord, the Lord some honor today. Give Him that praise. Hallelujah. I love what I feel in this place when it comes to the presence of the Lord. I do feel him here today. But there are some other things that I feel. Church, uh, it is important for us to acknowledge that the Spirit of the Lord is not the only Spirit that likes to show up to a church service. 
Today I feel that there is a spirit of content. We don't need to be content when the Lord's trying to elevate us. Amen. There's a spirit of discouragement. There's a spirit of distraction. A spirit of destruction. I do not want someone sitting in a pew to look side by side and, and realize that there are people missing and say, well, we can't have church. I don't want you to look at this platform and say, well, there's people that aren't here that are key to, to revival. I never want you to look at a, at a platform and realize who's not here and say, well, we cannot have church. Because, of course, we want those individuals to be here. But the one that we need to show up to have church is here today. And his name is Jesus. Today, if you would join me, we're going to find ourselves in 2 Kings, starting at chapter 2, verse 9. 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 9. See, uh, I believe probably every minister that ever gets up behind a pulpit with a message that he feels is from the Lord has this uh, underlying fear that he is not in the will of God. There should be that underlying fear because that fear drives you to draw closer to the Lord when you're preparing to bring forth his word. Okay, so knowing that, that underlying fear has been on my heart, it's been in my mind today, but I feel that this message has been confirmed by one thing, by one statement that Brother McCoy made earlier today. Whenever he was, he was talking in the midst of one of the songs and he said that, is a hard prayer to pray. It's a hard prayer to pray. I've been fighting with this message, but I do feel it's from the Lord, and I pray that it touches somebody's heart today. Today, I want to talk to us briefly on the subject title, Ask a Hard Thing. Ask a Hard Thing. If you would, join me. 2 Kings 2, starting at verse 9, and it says, And it came to pass when they were gone... Over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Notice the next word is, Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, or actually that was the last scripture I wanted to use, 9 and 10. If you would join me today as we go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, be, begin to move in this place today. God, begin to change the atmosphere in this place. I rebuke every unclean spirit in this place today. God, they, meet, they must be silent if they're going to be in this sanctuary. Because today we are children that are de desiring to be fed of you, Lord. Begin to, to feel this place today. Begin to feel the, the places where the people that are watching via webcast are today, God. Begin to rearrange some hearts and spirits, Lord. And put yourself at the forefront of our minds, hearts, and desires. In Jesus' name. And the church said amen. God bless you. You may be seated, but not silent. Uh, before I get into my notes today, I do, of course, want to give honor where honor is due. Uh, we honor our pastor. I thank him for, for trusting me to stand behind this sacred desk. I thank him for being so protective over this pulpit and not just letting anybody get up and preach. 
because the Lord has preachers, but so does the devil. Amen. So I'm grateful for him trusting me. Uh, we need to keep him in our prayers as well, him and our first lady of the church as they travel. We want to see them get back so we can have church with them together. Amen. Of course, I want to give honor to my beautiful wife and my son, which are not able to be here, as Brother McCoy mentioned. Deacon is sick, so please keep him in your prayers. That is also being said, I want to give honor unto the Lord for allowing each and every one of us to be here when sickness is going around. Amen. Let's get into the word. 2 Kings 2 and 9 through 10. I love the story of the prophet Elijah and the training prophet Elisha. I love to read this particular passage of scripture and acknowledge Elisha's dedication, not only to God, but also unto the man that the Lord had placed over his soul and his ministry. You see, we like to look at things on a surface level. We like to look at things through a carnal lens, if you would. But you see, that's not how the Lord operates. The Lord is spirit, and spirit speaks to spirit, flesh speaks to flesh. So whenever the Lord tries to operate, he tries to move within a service, you have to take off the carnal lens and start looking into the supernatural. If he is trying to elevate us into realms of the supernatural then we, that we've never been before, he cannot do that if we are stuck in the carnal. So whenever the man of God, our pastor, that the Lord has placed over us, the one that, he, that we trust the Lord speaks to, begins to try and give us direction, give us correction, we have to be willing to take that correction. Because if we trust in the Lord and we trust in the man that the Lord has placed over us, that correction and that direction is going to draw us closer to the Lord. And that is our goal. Amen. Amen. See, I love to read this story of a minister that is drawing close to his man of God. Someone that the Lord has placed over his soul and his ministry. You see, the problems that we face as the church of today, and even as individuals in Christ, and hear me, church, it is a problem, is that we have very little to no dedication. And I know some of you may have got offended at that, but keep listening. As soon as we are faced with hardships, as soon as we put before or we are put before our problem, dedication is out the door and defeat takes its place. You see the change in our persona. You see, you see the change in how we carry ourselves when we get a bad diagnosis. But you see, whenever that defeat begins to take place of that dedication, now evil thoughts have taken, taken place of the peace that used to reside in your mind. You see, because whenever the grass is green and the flowers are growing and, and everything is going your direction, everything is going the way it should be going, it's okay and it's easy to worship the Lord. It's okay and it's easy to give God glory and give God praise whenever there's an uplifting song being played. But I ask you the question, what do you do whenever the music stops? What do you do whenever the flowers fade? What do you do whenever the grass is no longer green? Do you stop worshiping the Lord because the atmosphere around you has changed? Do you stop giving Him glory because your situation has changed? If it did, then you are not living for the Lord, you're living for feeling. You're living for emotion. 
The Lord uses emotion to draw us close. But that is not what we should be living by. We should be living by the word of the Lord. We should be living by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We should be living, as the Sunday school lesson taught today, living the truth of God. See, the problems that we face is the lack of dedication. Those that you never know, or actually I'm skipping ahead of myself, but you are able to notice the difference in people that walk into the house of God. Those that are dedicated and those that are defeated. Those that you never know are having a bad day because the joy of being in the house of God is greater than their trials and tribulations. That's the person and the people that I want to surround myself with. Because whenever I'm stuck in the dark, those that are living in the light are are going to be the ones that are going to pull me out of my, my midnight hour. But you are also able to notice those that, that never know or those that, are, that look like life has smacked them in the face with one bad situation after another. Singing the song, Woe is Me. You see the difference in the person is dedication. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not be dedicated to Christ. It is simply impossible. For to be a Christian is to be like Christ. And we know by studying the word of Christ, Christ was perfect. If we want to even begin to look like, talk like, walk like Jesus, it's going to take some dedication, church. And dedication is not for the faint of heart. Why? Because there are going to be hard times. There are going to be hard situations that we're going to have to be dedicated through. We're going to have to walk through some briar patches instead of just the the open fields. We're going to get cut up. We're going to get dirty in different situations. But as long as we know on the other side of that briar patch is my goal destination. As long as we know on the other side of this hard thing is Jesus. Then it's worth pushing through it. It's worth asking a hard question. It's worth praying a hard prayer. promise you I do not stand up here today and condemn anyone. Why? Because I am a man that operates through flesh, that fights flesh each and every day. But my goal and my desire each and every morning and each and every night is to make sure that I am drawing closer to the Lord that has given me an opportunity to get away from a life of sin. I'm able to stand here today and preach a message that the Lord has given me and not one that I've pulled off of the internet. Why? Because I have dedicated my life to Him. Through the hard times, through the easy times, my dedication needs to be with Him, and it's the same for you. See, we are a microwave generation. We want our sermons to be just warm enough to eat and to swallow, but Lord forbid you feel the heat of conviction. The lack of dedication goes hand in hand with the lack of conviction in the church. It does not matter if you come to an altar every Sunday and you beg God to forgive you. And you know for a fact he did. He does. But yet you turn around and on Monday, you turn around on Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday and do the same thing that God has forgiven you for. See, now hear me church. I know I'm preaching to a congregation of people that battle flesh. I know it is a battle. 
I know your flesh is weak and we all fall into temptation. But I'm not condemning you for being human. I'm not referring to the slip-ups. I'm not referring to, to you striving to do your best and get away from sin, but yet you still mess up. I'm not justifying it either. You see, I'm talking about the mindset of thinking as long as I show up, as long as I cry some tears in an altar, and as long as I feel some chills, I'm going to make it. Church, I'm preaching against that. Why? Because it's a lie of false security from the pits of hell. If you have the mindset that as long as I show up to church and I sit on a pew, then the things that I messed up in all throughout the week are going to be okay. He's going to forgive me of them, and I can do it again next week as long as I show up again Sunday. If you think that this little routine that you got going on here is going to get you into heaven, let me tell you it's not. Because what you're doing is you're pretending instead of living. You need to start living. Because whenever you start to live, you realize that there are some things that have to be present for you to survive. See, as kids, we get to pretend, we get to play, we get to have a great time, but we don't realize that our parents are living. Our parents are surviving. They're doing what is necessary to make sure that their children survive. They're doing the hard thing. Church, you cannot come into this church, especially in the day and age that we're in today, because you need to open up your eyes if you haven't already and realize that we're living in the end times. I'm no longer looking for the signs. I'm listening for the call. We do not have time to pretend. We do not have time to play church. You need to be living for Christ. Why? Because whenever you start living, you're going to recognize what you need to survive. And to get to heaven. If you know what you're doing is wrong. If you know that you're living a life of sin. That goes against God's word. There should be conviction. And if you don't feel conviction. You should be afraid. Because the Lord operates through the spirit of conviction. To draw you closer to him. You should not be afraid of the Lord in the sense of. I'm terrified of Jesus. You should be afraid in the sense of it's a reverent fear. I respect him enough to love him. I fear him and I fear not being able to be with him for eternity enough to live for him, to set aside my fleshly desires and to want to, to follow after Christ, to take up my cross and follow after him, press toward the mark, following narrow is the way, or straight is the gate and narrow is the way. You cannot, you cannot want anointing, but ignore conviction. I'm going to say that again for those that miss it. You cannot want the anointing, but ignore the conviction. Church, it is dangerous to be a modern day Christian. And I'm not just talking about physically dangerous. I'm saying it is dangerous for your soul to be a modern day Christian. There are so many lazy doctrines out there nowadays that if you buy into it, you're buying a one-way ticket straight to hell. Those that are willing to sit here, take out the pulpit, take out all the things that identify the church as a church, separating this church from the world, if they're willing to get rid of it all, say, okay, let's just have a talk. Let's have a TED talk. As long as you say, God, forgive me, and say, hey, I confess with my heart, 
I want you to be mine. You're going to make it to heaven. Where does it say that in the Word, that that's the only steps that you have to take? The, the Word that I read that never changes, the Word that I read that's going to be here when heaven and, heaven and earth pass away says you must repent. You must be baptized in Jesus' name, and you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evident by the speaking of tongues. That's the Word that we read. So whenever someone comes against you and says, you don't have to do all that, say, show me where it says it in the Word. The Word's what I believe. The Word is the foundation on which I stand as a Christian. And if you don't know the Word, if you don't know the foundation, you're going to crumble and you're going to fall. Like I said, there's so many lazy doctrines nowadays. So many people willing to sell out just to get more people to come into their congregation. That is not my goal. That is not my desire. I'd rather see very, very few people in here because there are less people on the straight and narrow than there are on the broad that are lost for eternity. See, that may be harsh, but it is the reality that this world does not want you to acknowledge. I'm not here to say that the apostolic church is better than anyone else. That is not my place. Why? Because God wants all of his children, all of his babies to make it. He said that throughout his word. He wants all that, that are called afar off to come. He said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come into my house that it may be filled. So I'm not here to say that any church is better than the other. But I am here to tell somebody today, if the church that you're going to, if the church that you're listening to online is not preaching the gospel, is not preaching Jesus, is not preaching the word, they are wrong. The word has to be the center point. The word has to be where you agree, otherwise you just won't. Whenever I'm talking with other preachers that I work with or talking with other people that have different religious beliefs than I do, if this has to be your center focus. The word of the Lord has to be the foundation on which you both agree. Otherwise, you are just arguing your beliefs. If there's not a center agreement, which should be the word, you should be able to go back and say, okay, where in the word does it say that? This is where in the word it says this, and this is why we baptize in Jesus' name. This is why we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evident by the speaking in tongues. Okay, there needs to be a foundation in your life. And whenever you don't know where to go, like you were saying other, uh, earlier, brother, I don't have the words to say sometimes. You need to ask a hard thing. You need to ask the Lord to begin to move in your situation, begin to give you the words, begin to move in your heart, and let him begin to take the reins and you take the back seat. Because, like I was telling some of our Sunday school today, what if you were the only chance one of your friends, one of your family members gets to know about Jesus? And because you're not willing to ask a hard thing for the Lord to use you in that situation, because you're not willing to ask a hard thing for that, that family member or that friend to be saved, because you're not willing to ask a hard thing, they're lost for eternity. I put that on you because it's the reality of the situation. We think if we, can get the, if we can get them to church, the reality of the situation is there's going to be people that you encounter that will never step foot into a church until it's too late. So be the church. Go out into the highways and the hedges and teach them about Christ. Do a hard thing. Ask a hard thing. Pray a hard prayer.
I'm not here today to preach philosophy. I'm not here to preach what makes the most sense to our human minds. Why? Because the word says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's Proverbs 3 and 5. I'm not here to lean on my own understanding. Why? Because I don't understand a lot of things that the Lord does. I don't understand how good people can be hurt whenever bad people just get away with so much in this world. But he didn't charge me with understanding that. He charged me with preaching kindness. He charged me with preaching opportunity. Church, I'm here to preach opportunity. If you need to ask a hard thing, this is where you do it. If you need to to pray a hard prayer, this is where you do it. And if if you, you can't get here, if you can't get here every Sunday and every Wednesday, every opportunity that you have, you need to build an altar in your home. Build an altar, whether it's in your vehicle. And I'm not talking about getting hammers and nails in the physical and putting together a physical altar. I'm saying build a place of prayer, a secret place where only you and God know about it, a secret place where only you and God can show up and you can talk about the hard things. I've always been someone that struggled with getting away from my notes. And a while back, I was somewhere else preaching, and and I felt something that I know was the Lord. And even to this day, I I, I beat myself up because I feel that I missed some things whenever it comes to what he wanted to do. I, I feel the message that I preached was what he wanted me to preach. But I believe sometimes he wants us to step away from the notes. And he wants to talk to his people. There are people in this place today that have asked hard things. Since you asked a hard thing of the Lord, he said, nevertheless, it's done. She was able to stand up here today, and by the word of her testimony, God's spirit, God's abilities, God's power was made known to to even some unbelievers. Because of her testimony, because of her being willing To pray a hard prayer, to ask a hard thing, we're able to see even now the same God over 2,000 years ago that was performing miracles is the same God that can show up in an MRI, is the same God that can show up in a hospital room. If you have loved ones that are on their deathbed, the God that we serve is the God that's going to answer that hard prayer. If you're someone that struggles with addiction of any kind, the addiction that is known to others because of the way you act, but the addictions that you are able to hide because it happens whenever you're alone, those addictions are just as real as any other, and they need to be broken. But you cannot do it on your own. You have to ask a hard thing. God, begin to break these chains that have bound me for so long. Begin to to tear away the bondage, God, and draw me closer to you. Because until you start asking those hard things, he's not going to answer. He's not going to deliver. Why? Because he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into a situation he knows is bad. He gave us free will to make that decision. So whenever you ask, that's whenever he responds. Brother Dove, you have a loved one. 
that has been in a hospital bed for too long. You have a loved one that the doctors said it's time to give up on. But we have seen God because we ask hard things. We have seen God begin to move in that situation. And maybe he hasn't answered it the way we wanted him to. But he is answering. Because we have asked, he is responding and he is answering those hard questions. He is answering those hard prayers. Who else in this place has neglected to ask a hard thing? Because we're willing to ask hard questions, he's willing to remove hard situations in our life. If you're wanting someone to spend the rest of your life with that God has prepared for you, you need to ask, and that's a hard thing to ask for. Because the flesh and the spirit are driven to two different things. It is up to you to ask the hard questions. Today I'm here to preach conviction. We need to be a church that operates through conviction. Conviction is whenever you get that wrench in your stomach because you know that you're doing something wrong or you feel like a ton of bricks have just sat on your soul because you know that that you're not fulfilling the will of God in your life. Whenever you feel convicted and drawn to to the altar, God's trying to draw you closer to him. But if you do not operate through conviction, he will stop convicting you. And like I said earlier, you should be afraid if you're not convicted. If I hurt your feelings, I pray that you know it's not intentional. And maybe God has to let you get hurt just so you will acknowledge him. And before you say within yourself, that's not my God, he wouldn't hurt me. Well, he did to Paul on the road to Damascus. He literally knocked him onto his backside. And you want to know Paul's response whenever he was physically knocked down? He said, who are thou, Lord? If God's trying to knock you down right now, who are you to say, that's not my God? What you need to say is, who are thou, Lord? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to reveal to me? Because right now you got the scales on your eyes thinking that you're okay. Every single day you need to be asking yourself and asking God, am I okay? Am I going to make it? Or am I going to get to heaven and you say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Every day we need to be striving to make sure that God knows our heart. God knows our soul. I want God to know who I am. That's a hard thing to pray. With that fear in your heart, fear in your mind that he's not going to know who I am. That should drive you to draw closer to him each and every day. When we are hurt, that's when we start looking for the comforter. Sometimes that's why we ask the question, why would, why would the Lord let this happen to our loved ones? Why would the Lord let this happen to me? Why would I get cancer? Why would I have to go through depression and anxiety? Because that's when we start looking for the comforter. Jesus said there's a comforter coming, and it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So whenever you're hurt, don't think that you're down and out and you're just out for the count. You're just ready to die. The spirit of depression is real, church. Do not look at it as time for me to give up. Look at it as time for me to to search for the comforter. It's time for me to ask through the hard times, where is my God? And he will show up and he will reveal to you exactly who he is and where he wants to take you. You can find comfort in repentance. Church, you can rest assured the comforter is here. 
You can find comfort in repentance, asking God to forgive you, laying down your life of sin and living a holy and acceptable life unto him. You can find comfort. You can find comfort in being baptized in the mighty name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, just as done and preached about in the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament. You will find comfort, find the comforter in the reception of the Holy Ghost, evident by the speaking of tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. You may be saying within yourself, that's, that's too hard for me. You don't know the addiction that I struggle with. It's too hard. You don't know the pride that I deal with. It's too hard. You don't know the anger that I wrestle with. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say that all you had to do was one, two, or three. I didn't say that it was going to be an easy mountain to climb. You say, but i got to go up the rough side of the mountain. If you're trying to go up a smooth side of the mountain, what are you going to have to grab a hold of? He gives us those rough times to be able to grab a hold of. When we start to slip back down, falling back down to that rock bottom, he gives us those hard times to grab a hold of and say, this is when the Lord showed up and revealed himself to me. You need to ask a hard thing. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. If we're only prepared for the easy times, when the hard time shows up, we stumble, we fall. And we fall away from the Lord because we feel that, that, that overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame and failure. He can use the broken. Look at this ministry right now. He can use those that have failed time and time again. He can use those that are broken as long as you let him. As long as you let him. Church, you have two choices. To be content with struggling with sin for the rest of your life or asking a hard thing and let God deliver you from it. When you refuse to ask God to do a hard thing by breaking those chains of sin and addiction because it's so hard for you, you are putting limitations on Him. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's Philippians 4 and 13. Let that be your anthem. When you wake up in the morning and the devil is there. When you go to bed in the evening and the devil is there. Trying to remind you that you are a failure. Say, yes, devil, I have failed, but yet the Lord still loves me. Say, devil, you are a failure. You were cast out of heaven. So you see, he tries to put all the blame back on you. He tries to remind you of how many times you've messed up. But what we need to do is let that anthem ring in our hearts. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If he be for me, who can be against me? Begin to quote scripture at the devil. Why? Because he knows and he acknowledges that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He knows and acknowledges that there is one Christ. He trembles and he flees. This may be a hard thing to get over. This may be a hard thing to ask, but I'm going to ask a hard thing because I know if my God be for me, who can be against me? And I am coming to a close if the, if the musicians, singers would come. Today, I, 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 pray, I pray that you have received the message. Ask a hard thing. 
Why? Because although it's hard to us, although it is something that we have to face and it may make us uncomfortable, when we're in that realm of discomfort, that's when we start to seek the comforter. Whenever, whenever we are in that realm of discomfort, that's when we look up to where our help comes from. See, whenever everything's going good and everything is going the way we want it, we forget about who our God is. We forget we need him just to make it through every day. Sometimes he sends the storm just to remind us that he's the one that speaks peace to the storm. I'm coming to a close-up, close with this. God cannot answer a prayer you have never prayed. Not that he is not able. It's that he is a gentleman that will not intervene without permission. So with you knowing that, I say it again, and I'm done. God cannot answer a prayer you have never prayed. So if it's a prayer that is hard to pray for your family, for yourself, for the addictions that you're facing, for the flesh that you have to deal with every day, come to this altar and begin to ask a hard thing right now. Can you do